The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. January 19th, 2017. Thank you very much for listening and for shopping through my Amazon links at buzzburbank.com. Sure, there's a presidential inauguration tomorrow, and we'll get to that. But the bigger story has to be what's happening with health care. There's nothing more important than our health, right? The Congressional Budget Office, the one that crunches numbers for our nation's lawmakers, says 18 million people will lose their health insurance within the first year of repealing Obamacare. But egged on by the incoming president, the Senate went to work eight days ago to begin to repeal the Affordable Care Act that's providing health insurance to millions who didn't have it and removed pre-existing conditions. The Republicans in control of the Senate still don't have a replacement plan, at least not one that answers the questions in the minds of millions of worried Americans. There's not even an outline. But Kentucky Senator Rand Paul says the Republican plan will, quote, legalize the sale of inexpensive insurance. It's a catchy phrase, but it doesn't answer any of those questions. Paul adds only that we're going to help people save through health savings accounts as well as tax credits. He says it will, in his words, give access to the most amount of people at the least amount of cost. None of this will be easy for Republicans who only need 51 votes in the Senate to repeal Obamacare, but they'll need 60 votes to pass a replacement plan, and they don't have 60 votes. So even with no replacement plan and even with dim prospects for getting one through the Senate, Republicans are forging ahead on repeal. It's a moment for which they have rehearsed for years. Several Republican leaders have now referred to as practice votes the five dozen times they voted for repeal during the Obama presidency. But House Speaker Paul Ryan says not to worry. He says Congress won't repeal until there's a replace. And while Republican lawmakers wrestle with a replacement proposal, to their surprise, Trump says he has one and that it's nearly finished. He told the Washington Post over the weekend his plan focuses on, quote, insurance for everyone. It will, he said, be in a much simplified form, much less expensive and much better. But as with Republican lawmakers, no specifics, even on America's most concerning questions. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders says Democrats are, quote, saying to our Republican colleagues, we will not allow you to throw up to 30 million Americans off of health insurance. Sanders said that at a rally in Michigan, one of 70 some save Obamacare rallies across America over the weekend. But by the weekend, the senators had already passed a budget that included an amendment that paves the way for repealing the Affordable Care Act. For now, there are only questions about the future for citizens, their medical providers, and their insurance companies. Democrats say ditching Obamacare will inflate the budget deficit by over $350 billion over 10 years and leave millions of people without insurance. Quoting Washington Senator Patty Murray, ripping apart our health care system with no plan to replace it will create chaos. And she adds it's women, kids, seniors, patients with serious illnesses, and people with disabilities who will bear the burden. Trump is expected to sign the bill that begins dismantling the current health care law shortly after his inauguration. Meanwhile, Congress's own budget office says repeal will yank insurance out from under 18 million Americans now. Over 10 years, 32 million people. The bipartisan budget office also reports that without Obamacare, insurance premiums could double over the next 10 years. That from Congress's own bipartisan number crunchers. 
Still, the march to repeal continues. Pew Research found that 55% of Americans disapprove of the job that Trump's doing explaining his plans as president on any topic. In fact, Trump takes office with one of the lowest approval ratings in modern history. A Gallup poll says 44% of us think he's doing a good job with the transition, a group made up mostly of Republicans. A new CBS News poll shows Trump entering office with a 32% approval rating, the lowest in history, succeeding President Obama, who leaves office with an approval rating nearly double that of Trump's at 62%. Obama had an 83% approval rating during his transition, also nearly double that of Trump. Even George W. Bush, even after beating Al Gore in the Supreme Court, even Bush had a higher transition approval rating than Trump. Bush had 61% compared to Trump's 44. And Quinnipiac University's poll found that only 37% of Americans approved the job that Trump's doing as president-elect. 53% in that poll said Trump is not honest. America's most popular president in modern times is being replaced by its least popular president since Richard Nixon's second inauguration. None of this is surprising for an incoming president who won the job despite trailing his opponent by three million votes and who allegedly got help from both the Russians and the FBI. More on that in a moment. It's not surprising for a first-time president who's greeted with massive protests across the country for Obamacare and against him. Nearly a quarter million people will march against Trump the day after his inauguration in Washington. Scores of anti-Trump rallies are scheduled across the country on Inauguration Day, each attracting thousands of people. His $200 million inauguration will host a crowd half the size of President Obama's first time in. So Trump begins his reign from a position of weakness, and none of this is surprising. What is surprising is that unlike other unpopular incoming presidents, Trump is not trying to unify the country something new presidents usually try to do by including members of the opposing party in their administrations. Not Trump. Such conciliation usually buys an unpopular new president some time, a honeymoon. Not Trump. With his swearing-in scheduled for tomorrow, unpopularity is just one of the growing number of clouds over Trump's head. Any discussion of Trump's ethics has to begin with how he got elected. There were his enthusiastic supporters, to be sure, but even they fell short of the opposition by several million. So what did push Trump over the top? Could it have been Russian interference through hacking and leaks and fake news? Could the unusual public pronouncements from FBI Director James Comey, including one just a few days before the election, did the FBI chief slam dunk Russia's shot? Did anyone in the Trump camp know of these things as they were happening? Is there a link between Trump and the Russians? These are not the questions of conspiracy nuts. These are the questions of the U.S. Justice Department and from the top command and the greatest intelligence community on Earth. The Inspector General at the Justice Department announced last week an investigation into whether James Comey violated the Hatch Act and the FBI's own hands-off policy in the months and days leading up to the election. A DOJ inspector general almost never announces such an investigation publicly, but the FBI doesn't normally do that either, as it did in this case. During the waning campaign, Comey not only reported that Clinton had dealt in government secrets on a private email server, he publicly scolded her for poor judgment, even with no evidence those emails were ever hacked or ever seen by anyone who isn't supposed to see them. 
No charges were ever filed. And just 11 days before the election, Comey announced he might have found more emails, only to reveal two days before the vote he hadn't. No FBI director has ever done anything like this, and it fueled the campaign rhetoric of Donald Trump, who called his opponent Crooked Hillary while his supporters chanted, Lock her up. And just 48 hours after Comey's announcement he had nothing on Clinton after all, Trump was declared the winner of the election. Through it all, Comey said nothing about the FBI's other investigation, namely the one focused on possible Trump ties to Russia. There were documents from that investigation as well, but Comey never spoke about them publicly, just the Clinton stuff, not Trump. Had Comey tipped in a shot fired halfway across the court from Russia? Comey is now under pressure to resign, starting from the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal. One of the many frustrated Democratic lawmakers who questioned Comey about all this Friday yelled at him, You let us down. We may never know for certain, but some of the questions of the DOJ and the CIA and the NSA and the Office of the National Intelligence Director, those questions might get answers. The investigators won't get any help from Trump, more likely pushback. In his latest Twitter decree, Trump said the FBI went easy on Clinton and that she's, quote, guilty as hell. As for the Russian hacking, Trump says his administration will have a full report on it in 90 days. Meanwhile, on the same day President Obama was imposing new sanctions on Russia for its election meddling, Trump's national security advisor was on the phone with the Russian ambassador negotiating logistics, we're told. Trump continues to bicker publicly with National Intelligence Director James Clapper and CIA Director John Brennan. Trump says it was the intelligence community that leaked the golden shower story that has saturated mainstream as well as social media. But the document was made public before the CIA's report through a website called BuzzFeed, so that part of the CIA's report wasn't the actual leak. Clapper agrees the BuzzFeed story has further corroded our national security, but he emphasizes that neither his agency nor any other intelligence agency reached any conclusions about that golden shower story. But in a bold-faced lie of a tweet, Trump wrote, James Clapper called me yesterday to denounce the false and fictitious report that was illegally circulated. Made up phony facts. Too bad. Clapper clarified he'd said no such thing, only that his agency had reached no conclusions about the alleged incident, which was reported by a reliable former spy for Britain who has spent recent years looking for a possible Trump-Russia connection. Trump naturally turned to Russia to shore up his innocence, tweeting, Russia says nothing exists. And from our Who's Your Daddy department, Putin chimed in this week, accusing the Obama administration of trying to undermine Trump's legitimacy. What's come to be called the PP tape doesn't exist, according to Putin, despite the former KGB agent's use of sex video blackmail to rise to the Russian presidency and to remain in power for over a dozen years, off and on. Putin says it's hard to believe a man visiting Russia with beauty contestants would mingle with prostitutes, which Putin called the best in the world. In other news, the president of a major nation just announced his country's hookers are the best on the planet. But in defending Trump, Putin attacked the BuzzFeed story, calling it total nonsense. It's good to know just who your friends are. This Russia cloud now also includes a fight with John Lewis and the more than 50 other Democratic lawmakers who say they'll skip Trump's inauguration. Lewis hasn't missed one in the three decades he's been in Congress, but he'll skip this one because he thinks the Russian influence and the Comey influence 
make Donald Trump the official but illegitimate president. Calling Trump's victory illegitimate sent shockwaves through Washington and perhaps through Trump, who angrily tweeted that Lewis needs to focus on his own crime-ridden district. Which, by the way, isn't crime-ridden, but Trump's not one to let the facts get in the way of a good public argument. In his attack, Trump also said Lewis is all talk and no action. Even though Lewis was nearly killed in a voting rights march in Selma in 1965, won the Medal of Freedom, and has won re-election to Congress five times where he is perhaps the most respected member. Russia or not, Democrat and Trump critic Jamie Raskin of Maryland will be at the inauguration, calling it his constitutional duty to be there for the transfer of power. Raskin says it's not a show of support for Trump, and he says that as a representative of his district, quote, I don't want to run away from this. Even the head of the Black Congressional Caucus was wrestling over whether to be at the inauguration, so black lawmakers were represented there, or to skip it because of Trump's attack on the beloved John Lewis. What do Americans make of all this? A CNN poll Monday found most of us believe Russia did mess with the election, and two-thirds of us say that if U.S. intelligence is correct, this would be a major crisis. But the poll also found that 58% of people believe Trump would have won even if the Russians had stayed out of it. Whether the questions about Russia and Comey are or are not answered, several darkish clouds hang over Trump even before he takes the oath. Another cloud is the bigger question of ethics. Trump's already been caught lying, contradicting documented facts. He still hasn't released his tax returns that could reveal any financial ties to Russia and other conflicts of interest at home and abroad. And then there's last week's news conference in which Trump declared he'd separated himself from his businesses and displayed stacks of file folders full of paper that he said proved that separation. But there's evidence those pages were blank, judging from at least one photograph. None of the actual papers were shown to the press or the public. The alleged documents certainly weren't printed on the legal-sized paper lawyers use for such things, nor did the pages bear any of the usual sticky tabs lawyers use to highlight signature lines or changes in text. The stacks and stacks of folders full of paper were a prop, not actually produced as evidence. The government's top ethics official says Trump hasn't proven a thing, and he calls Trump's promise a meaningless, symbolic gesture. He also called Trump's moves irrelevant and inadequate. A constitutional law professor calls Trump's plan a fraudulent runaround. Walter Schaub, head of the Office of Government Ethics, says Trump's plan does almost nothing to eliminate conflicts. We can't, says Schaub, risk the perception that government leaders would use their official positions for professional profit. Schaub is again urging Trump to divest his company, something Trump's attorney said in that news conference last week he should not be asked to do. And Trump was still saying he could legally own the company and even run it while serving as president. The expectation is that this ethics standoff, as Trump takes office, will lead to years of lawsuits and investigations. A few Republicans in Congress are rushing to Trump's defense. House Oversight Committee Chairman Jason Chavitz has asked for a closed-door meeting with ethics chief Walter Schaub. It would appear Chavitz is trying to intimidate the ethics chief by threatening his budget, perhaps the very existence of the government's top ethics office. Quoting Chavitz, I want to talk about the whole department. Mr. Schaub has taken a very aggressive stance on issues he's never looked at. That is clearly a threat, according to the former ethics advisor to President Bush. Mr. Schaub, by the way, says many of Trump's cabinet nominees have done better with divestiture and ethics overall than has Trump. 
More about those cabinet picks and other news, including encouraging news about jobs in the economy, in a moment. It is crucial, now more than ever, that you show your support for this newscast by doing as much of your shopping as possible through my Amazon links at buzzburbank.com. You'll land right on your very own Amazon page and you'll get the same great prices as always. If you believe in what I'm doing here, what we're doing together, it's extremely important that you go to buzzburbank.com, click on that link, and then bookmark the page to make it one of your favorites. Whether you're already a Prime member or if you're shopping Amazon for the first time, going through that link, even just once, helps sustain this program. Amazon has nearly everything you need right to your door and in two days or less for Prime members. I can't say enough about how much I enjoy Amazon Prime Video, which comes with the Prime membership along with music, books, and so much more. And please, use my Amazon link if you make purchases for your office, school, church, or some other organization. To those of you who already shop through my link, thank you. And if Amazon's not right for you, you can also support this program by clicking on the PayPal button just below the Amazon button in the upper right corner at buzzburbank.com. Some seemingly good news this past week about jobs. Walmart, which closed stores and canned 17,000 people last year, is adding 10,000 jobs back, and it's doing so just as stores from Kmart to Macy's are closing more of their locations. Walmart says it plans to invest nearly $7 billion in U.S. operations this year, opening 160 new training academies. It's spending another $3 million on grants to a half dozen universities, and Walmart says it'll spend an additional quarter trillion dollars on American-grown and American-made goods it purchases. The company's announcement comes after criticism from Trump about U.S. employers moving the work to other countries. GM, which is among those taking a public browbeating from Trump, now says it will expand its U.S. operations, the second car maker to do so this week. GM now says it'll invest a billion dollars into existing factories in the U.S., assuring 1,500 jobs. Hyundai, which has several plants in the U.S., says it will invest over $3 billion here in the next five years, including a new factory to build SUVs and luxury cars. Ford just announced 2,000 new jobs last week and canceled its plans to build a new plant in Mexico. Fiat Chrysler made a similar move. Each company motivated by Trump's threat to heavily tax American goods made by American companies but made outside the U.S. Fiat Chrysler, meanwhile, is now also the target of a criminal investigation for cheating on emission standards, and some Volkswagen executives have been arrested for that company's emissions deception. There was breaking news from the final days of the Obama administration. Despite a White House petition for a pardon signed by over a million Americans, Edward Snowden did not officially request clemency, so he won't be getting it. With that, Russia extended its invitation for Snowden to stay there for at least two more years. And with that out of the way, for better or worse, President Obama commuted over 200 more prison sentences, including that of Chelsea Manning, who faced espionage charges after turning over more than a half million classified documents to WikiLeaks. As Army Private Bradley Manning, she was sentenced to 35 years in prison, a sentence over 11 times longer than any other recent document leakers. Manning's case surfaced after U.S. officials had lost their shot at Edward Snowden. They wanted to make an example out of Manning, since they couldn't with Snowden. Manning is now a free woman, much to the dismay of Republicans and many in the military, despite the lack of evidence that Manning's leaks did any significant damage. 
At his final news conference, Mr. Obama said of Manning that she served seven years for her crime, that such a sentence discourages whistleblowing outside government rules, and that justice has been served. This has prompted WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange to say that he would be willing to be extradited to the United States. Trying to cover the president-elect's cabinet choices as this edition drops is a little like trying to hit a moving target. It's still a work in progress. The confirmation hearings began this week. Most of Trump's picks are likely to survive the process, while others may not. Monica Crowley's already backed out as Trump's choice for deputy national security advisor after being called out for plagiarism. Trump's choice for defense secretary was well-received, James Mad Dog Mattis already being confirmed with the approval of both Republicans and Democrats. Former Texas Governor Rick Perry may not fare so well. He's Trump's pick to replace a nuclear physicist at the Energy Department, a department Perry wanted to eliminate when he was a presidential hopeful, except that he couldn't remember the name of the department in a primary debate. Dr. Ben Carson is up for housing secretary. Despite his earlier confession, he wasn't qualified to be a cabinet member. Today, Steve Mnuchin is up for treasury secretary. Despite his lack of government experience, he's one of six Goldman Sachs executives that Trump has chosen for his grassroots administration. Another former Goldman Sachs whiz billionaire Wilbur Ross is up for commerce secretary. All the Wall Streeters are getting some tough questions from Democrats. Another controversial nomination is that of Betsy DeVos, another billionaire, to run the education department despite her disdain for public schools and her lack of experience in education. At a hearing yesterday, she was unable to talk about how test scores should be evaluated and defended one school's policy allowing guns because there's, quote, probably a gun in the school to protect from potential grizzlies. Her answer was so absurd, the Twitterverse exploded with hashtag potential grizzlies. Tom Rice, who's nominated for Health and Human Services Secretary, bought $300,000 worth of stock, then pushed and voted for legislation to help that stock increase in value, which it did. One of the most explosive nominations is that of Exxon CEO Rex Tillerson, as Secretary of State. Because of Tillerson's close ties with Russia, he's under scrutiny, especially from Florida Senator Marco Rubio. It'll only take one Republican vote, like Rubio's, to keep Tillerson out of the Trump administration. And these are just some of the nominations being sorted out now. We hope to have a clearer picture of the Trump cabinet by this time next week. As Congress considers Trump nominees known for their disbelief in man-made climate change, concern about climate-changing pollution is very real. 2016 was the warmest year in modern history, to nearly 59 degrees. 2016's number, complete with decimal points, is about three-quarters of a degree warmer than the year before. This is the third year in a row to become the hottest year since they started keeping track nearly two decades ago. It's the third record-setter in the last five years. Temperatures averaged hotter on every continent. The oceans were warmer around the globe. The melting of the ice caps accelerated. The new numbers come from NASA and the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Bomb threats have been phoned into dozens of Jewish community centers for the second time in two weeks, leading to evacuations and searches for explosives. So far, all the threats turned out to be hoaxes, but the threats came in 17 states this time, nearly twice as many threats as the week before. Jewish leaders and police are worried, one leader asking, is this the new norm? Quoting another, the bombs in question are hoaxes, the calls are not. 
Middle East update. Representatives from more than 70 countries met in Paris Sunday to talk about ways to get a two-state solution bringing peace and granting Palestinians a homeland on the condition they reverse their stand that Israel has no right to exist. Palestinians now have an embassy at the Vatican but still don't have an official homeland. The countries represented in Paris, those 70 countries, include the five permanent members of the U.N. Security Council, the U.S., Russia, China, Great Britain, and France. The Arab nations neighboring the conflict were at that meeting as well. Trump opposes the two-state solution. He does not object to the illegal Israeli settlement on the West Bank, and he wants to move the U.S. Embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Trump is almost radically pro-Israel, much to the delight of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Netanyahu says the Israeli settlements rapidly cropping up on the West Bank should be no threat to a two-state solution. The Palestinians say the settlements threaten to permanently prevent a two-state solution. President Obama at that final news conference said he worries the moment for that solution has now passed and that the next president has the right to implement his own policies. Health News, your weekly movie preview, and shower beer. Coming up in the third and final segment, next. Don't stop me if you've heard this before. A couple of college students wanted the kind of stylish watches others were wearing, but like a lot of college kids, they were broke. Nothing that stylish with any quality was affordable. A little research taught them quality and fashion don't have to be expensive if you cut out the middleman by selling direct online. So little by little, they started their own watch company in much the same way we started this network. Even the name of their company is high fashion, MVMT for movement. People will ask you about your movement watch with its classic design, minimalist style, and quality construction. These are watches that would sell in a department store for four or five hundred bucks, but movement makes them yours starting at just 95 bucks with free shipping and free returns. That's why Movement is the world's fastest-growing watch company, with over a half million sold in more than 160 countries around the world. And because you listen to this program, you get another 15% off that already amazing price. Just go to mvmtwatches.com slash realm, R-E-L-M. Be like us. Join the Movement mvmtwatches.com slash r-e-l-m Among the scientists alarmed by Trump's plans regarding scientific things are doctors who can't believe Trump asked a vaccine skeptic to head a new commission on vaccine safety. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has written books and articles claiming childhood vaccines cause autism. The Trump camp says the scientists are worrying needlessly that no decisions have been made but that Trump does want a commission on autism. Clearing the air about marijuana. Scientists came to some big conclusions for the first time this past week about what medical marijuana does or does not treat, at least based on what we know from various studies so far, which have been limited because of tough federal laws on weed. It's hard to test something that's illegal. And there could be a problem. People trying to treat conditions that may or may not be helped by the cannabinoids or THC in marijuana. The National Academy of Sciences has now weighed in, saying pot works well against chronic pain, suppressing the nausea after chemotherapy and quieting the muscle spasms of multiple sclerosis. 
And they agree there's enough evidence to believe cannabis can help fibromyalgia and even improve the sleep of apnea patients. But so far, the scientific community says there's little or no evidence that marijuana can help people with glaucoma, Tourette's, PTSD, epilepsy, Parkinson's, or irritable bowel syndrome or depression, despite the many people using it for precisely those reasons. Anecdotally, there have been multiple cases of people who say they beat their opioid addiction using marijuana. And a new medical study from an Oregon university shows that cannabis poses no risk of addiction. If variety is the spice of life, then spice may be the longevity of life. University medical researchers in Vermont found that Americans who eat red-hot chili peppers are 13% less likely to die prematurely than those who pass on the peppers, 13% less likely to have a stroke or heart attack. A study in China had similar results. The hot stuff in hot peppers is capsaicin, which has also been shown to prevent obesity and regulate blood flow, along with having some antimicrobial effect. Almost every cuisine around the world makes use of red-hot chili peppers, including Asian, Mexican, Italian, American, and Cajun. Eating the most red-hot peppers in this country are young men, white, and Mexican-American. Hidden Figures, a drama about the behind-the-scenes heroes at NASA, was the top movie in North America last weekend, despite its lack of animation, superheroes, or prequels. The award-winning musical La La Land, also without animation, superheroes, or prequels, came in second. There's hope. Here's this week's movie preview from Realm Network Arts and Entertainment editor Omar Latiri and brought to you by Fandango. Opening this weekend, January 20th, 2017. Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage. Vin Diesel reprises his 2002 role of extreme athlete turned CIA agent Xander Cage in an action thriller full of stunts, chases, and of course, extreme sports. Rated PG-13. There's The Founder, a biopic starring Michael Keaton as Ray Kroc, a salesman who turned two brothers' fast food eatery into one of the biggest restaurant businesses in the world, McDonald's, rated PG-13. We also have The Red Turtle, an animated feature from Japan's renowned Studio Ghibli. There is no dialogue in this film about a castaway stranded on a deserted tropical island, rated PG. There's Detour, an indie thriller about a young law student who blindly enters into a pact with a man who offers to kill his stepfather, whom he feels is responsible for the accident that sent his mother into a coma. Rated R. And finally, my pick for this week, Split. M. Night Shyamalan's latest picture. It stars James McAvoy as a man with 24 distinct personalities who kidnaps three young women who try to figure out which personalities can help them escape. Rated PG-13. For Buzz Burbank News and Comment, I'm Omar Latiri. Thanks, Omar. For theaters and showtimes, previews, tickets, and so much more, and to support this free news, please use and bookmark the Fandango link you'll find at buzzburbank.com. And listen to Omar on his show, Arts Review and Commentary, right here at realmnetwork.com. It's a beer. It's a conditioner for your hair. It's shower beer. A Swedish brewery hired an ad agency, and together they invented a beer you can drink in the shower and pour on your head to leave your hair tangle-free if you don't mind the 10% alcohol. Still, it was specially formulated to condition hair. In your hand, it's a 6-ounce bottle of 20-proof conditioner. 
As the brewer puts it, small enough to keep its temperature during the shower and strong enough to mentally wash your workday off. In your mouth, it's a sweet pale ale with notes, as the brewer puts it, that are citrusy, herbal, and just a little soapy. One of several reasons patients have their baby boys circumcised is so that the boys won't feel freakish after seeing that most other boys are circumcised. In Zimbabwe, a boy was teased by his circumcised friends. They told him with that foreskin, he'd never have a girlfriend. Never. Circumcision is now the rage in that African nation as a way of improving hygiene to help prevent the spread of the AIDS virus. So, being different than his friends, the boy used what he had available, a machete, to try to circumcise himself. It didn't go well. The bleeding 16-year-old was rushed to a hospital where doctors safely finished what he had started. As it turns out, there are government doctors traveling throughout Zimbabwe who would have been happy to do that for him at no charge and much less painfully. Laquina Grover of the New Orleans suburb of Metairie, Louisiana, has just given birth to her fourth child. She swears it will be her last. Laquina's been scared straight. This one came out weighing an ounce over 14 pounds, about the size of your Thanksgiving turkey. Quoting her, when the doctor was taking him out, my husband was like, his mouth just literally dropped. He was like, that's a big baby. Because of the size of her belly, Laquina was convinced she was having twins. Nope, just one big baby boy. Laquina says she never wants to go through that again or have it go through her. And add this to the list of crazy things that prompt people to call the police. In Niagara Falls, a resident who couldn't sleep because of a howling wind called police to ask for help. The call went out on the Niagara Falls police radio. All cars be advised. Someone called to see if police could stop the wind from blowing. If any of you guys know how to do that, asked the dispatcher, could you let me know? And the Wendy's in Putnam County, West Virginia, has a new drive-thru. No one saw it coming, literally. Out on State Route 34, a driver fell asleep at the wheel, crossed oncoming lanes of traffic over a curb and into the building, taking out the entrance and part of the front wall. And finally, it would seem like such a small crime, skipping the toll at a highway toll booth, but a New Jersey man on the Jersey side of the Lincoln Tunnel into New York got pulled over for blowing through a toll booth without paying. As it turns out, 42-year-old Julian Garcia had done this before, many times. The Port Authority says he had racked up $12,000 in unpaid tolls. His car was impounded. He was arrested for theft. Toll skipping is serious. But you don't have to tell that to the Florida man who purchased and installed a device that covered up his license plate on his command by remote control for the sole purpose of blowing through toll lanes without any photographic evidence it was his car. A state highway patrolman in Orlando saw a black shield rise up and cover the plate just before 27-year-old Joshua West passed through the gate and watched the cover lower to reveal the plate after West's car had cleared camera range. Quoting an FHP sergeant, kind of James Bond-like, young Mr. West is now facing multiple felony charges. What Mr. West may have forgotten is that he is not James Bond. 
I'm Buzz Burbank. Thank you for listening, and thanks for supporting the shows and sponsors at buzzburbank.com. I'll be back next Thursday with another Buzz Burbank news and comment. The preceding presentation was brought to you by The Realm Network.